When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Busker. How are you doing today, Emily? I am recovering from a wild weekend in New Orleans. Oh, it's wild. Bunch of hand grenades and hurricanes. <laughs> no, not, not wild like that wild. I stay away from Bourbon Street um, at all costs when I go to New Orleans. It was wild because what what a game. Mm-hmm. That's why it was yeah. wild. Yeah. Do you want to jump right into it or I mean, yeah, I don't really I, I would I would love to because it, I'm still riding high from it. it was an incredible experience and how great for Tulane to get the win, you know, in their own stadium. And that's why like such a big advocate for championships to be played in the home team stadium. Huge. Yeah, there's so few of them, too. Uh, it's the AAC. It's the Mountain mm-hmm. West. It's the mm-hmm. Sun Belt and Conference USA. Those are the yeah. only ones. I know it's a dying thing, but I got to tell you, it was incredible. The student section for Tulane showed out. There are a lot less UCF fans this time. Um, there was a lot of online argument back and forth about that. I think mm-hmm. there's a couple of things that go into it. First off, you didn't have six, seven months to prepare for a trip, which factors in. Yeah. You know, in the time, et cetera, et cetera. There's also talk about how like the tickets, to the UCF section weren't released prop like, they're released piecemeal. Interesting. So like, some, that's what some UCF fans were saying. Other Tulane fans were pointing out that like, oh no, you're just not buying them. I don't like to get into an online debate amongst fans about how good your ticket sales are for this game because who cares really, to be honest with you. Like the stadium was nice and full and that's why I like to see. It would suck if the stadium was half empty. It was nice and full. That's what was important. It was extremely full. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like jump the gun here. Obviously, we're talking about Tulane's 45-28 victory in the AAC championship game over UCF. I know, usually you do that, but I jumped right in because I was so excited. So um, I'll say my impressions are this. Tulane's student section really came out and they, they were way more than at the last UCF game. So they learned their lesson. At one point in the end, they started chanting storm the field. And that's when I started getting scared because I not, a, not a big fan of field storming when you're on the field. Well, I so. disagree. I mean, I, I, I love watching it from the press I, box. I, <laughs> like, you're right. As media, it's a little bit. Like, it's terrifying. Okay. I mean, my photographer's got our cameras. Like we're, you know, you have to worry about running into people that aren't looking and like, it's, it's a little bit scary and I have like crowd phobia. So um, yeah. I was standing right by Coach O, um, Ordron, uh, at the end. I was watching the last couple of minutes with him and his lady friend. And he was, like, shielding us because he's massive. And he was like, God, oh, be careful, ladies. And was, like, shielding us from it because it, okay. it was crazy. Let's take a 
whole step back. I did not know Coach O was at the game. You didn't see my um you didn't see my my Twitter? I was in a state on Saturday. That's fair. Um I'll pull this up real quick for you. But yes, Coach O was in fact at nice. the game. And okay. he as he often has been at Tulane games this year, I was told. So mm-hmm. not the first one he's been to. And yeah, well, uh a Louisiana guy. And yeah, exactly. It's not weird for him to be there. Apparently mad at LSU, so. Well, of course. <laughs> it was not weird that he's there, but it was surprising when I ended up staying next to him. And I was like, oh, shit, that's Coach O. And it was kind of cool to watch him watch the game. Um, you know, so that was kind of neat. And then we talked a little bit about what was going on. And and then, you know, we watched the them rushing the field together. So it was, it was cool. He's a really... Nice guy, one of my favorite coaches. He's always been great to to at least to me and to women that I know in media. So, but um, there was a lot of Tulane alumni in the house. Justin McMillan was also watching the game with us. Oh, he was so um, much fun to watch when he was. Oh actually. my god, he's an and also just an incredible guy, human being. Like I I adore Justin. I think he's great. We hung out with him quite a bit afterwards, and he had some really interesting takes on the program. But you know, the biggest takeaway I think from all the Tulane players that I got to talk to and see was that they're just happy to be leaving this place better than they found it. So, you know, for the seniors and the guys that have been there, they're just happy that this is the trajectory that that's happened. And they, you know, so yeah. Um, Okay. Obviously obviously I'm UCF. I'm upset that UCF lost because I went to UCF. I'm right. I don't hide that fact that I root for UCF in a lot of things. Uh, Tulane it was, was tough for you guys. By it far the best team in this game and by far yeah. the more deserving team in this game. There's no way around that. Yeah. I'm not no sense pretending otherwise. Uh, UCF. What do you think happened, Dan? I mean, I'm, it's like I was there and I'm watching. I think it's really but you know UCF better than I do. So, like, what? why did they – why Why do you have a game like the week – two weeks before and then you have a game like this where clearly they could play better? There's a, there's a few things that go into it. Okay. The first is, you know, there's that cliche of it's really hard to beat a team twice in one season. Fair. It's yes. really hard to beat a team twice in one it season. It is. I'll give them that. They know what your best effort is against them. They know what you want to do against them. Right. Uh, offensively, UCF is hampered by John Rice Plumley's hamstring injury because yeah. he had to come out of the game for an extended period of time and – he just couldn't play on it for a while. He got it. But, he, but but listen, listen. He couldn't play on it for a while, but then all of a sudden he could. I think it was. I don't I know about like, that. Caleb Williams played on a bad injury in the Pac-12 championship. Game. Yeah. No, it's like well, he might miss the Cotton Bowl because he it's so badly injured. Well, how was he playing on then? Sometimes adrenaline kicks in. That's no, all. I understand how he. I understand how he ended up doing it because a lot of guys, and I'll tell you right now, Michael Pratt. Not healthy. No, a bunch no, of guys no. on the team were not we, healthy. Thirteenth game, most people aren't. Yeah, they're they've all got stuff. But my my issue with that is that he goes out. It's so bad that he has to go out, right? Mm-hmm. But then somehow it it heals up for him enough to go back in. Like either stay in the game, you know, or don't come I, back. I, like I'm I'm not him. I don't know what his situation yeah. was necessarily. Um, but but that was the. But that's just that happened. If we're getting into how he went badly for you, it did. He wasn't an effective runner like the last time the two played. He ran for like 150 plus yards last time, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. wasn't able to do that. He was uh, he came out. Tommy uh, Thomas Castellanos came in. He's a true freshman. Uh, yeah. Mike Keen he played choked. like a true freshman. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Mikey <laughs> Keene chose not to play in this game. He told the UCF staff he wasn't going to suit up because yeah. he did not want to play. Because he, if he were to play, it would have burned his red shirt. He had four games that would have been his fifth. He did not want to burn his red shirt because he hit the transfer portal the day after. Uh, and I don't blame him. A lot of UCF fans are <laughs> I don't blame him. But he knew he was transferring clearly. Why would you? It's so much more valuable to be, I'm a guy with three years, I'm a guy with two. Okay, but this goes back to the conversation that we had with our guest that we'll get to about the self selfishness versus selflessness uh, that college football is now experiencing. Do you blame a guy for looking out for his future? No. No. But I don't, I don't don't care. But you don't have the transfer portal. That doesn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I'm, some UCF fans are very mad at Mikey Keen about that decision. I, I am not. I think he's a little bit, I think it, I'm not mad because I don't care, but I'm also like, do I, I mean, think less of him? Oh, you yeah. committed to play for someone. He didn't commit to play for Gus Malzahn, in all fairness. That's, that's you know true. I mean? But then he should have left before that. He stayed well, because he thought, he thought maybe he, he could, could win the win job. job. Right. He but he didn't. Now he's, he's tail he between his legs leaving. That's what it looks yeah. like. Well, his whole plan, well, that's his whole plan this year was, Okay, I'm going to take a redshirt year now that I didn't win the job and transfer at the end. And he got forced in because of Plumlee's injuries in the second half of the season to a lot of games, frankly. Uh, and that's what it is. I, yeah. Anyways, I, moving on. Yes, the freshman. Castellanos, yeah, Castellanos yeah. was clearly in Tough. over. I think Castellanos has a very bright future. He does a lot of things very well that fits Gus's system. He very much looked like a freshman, and the offensive line did not help him at all. Uh, UCF's offensive line got whipped in this game. Let's mm-hmm. just be honest. They got their asses kicked. Uh, and shout out to Tulane's yeah, defense Tulane. and defensive line. They came. All credit to Tulane yeah. for kicking UCF's offensive line. Every single starter on UCF's offensive line was an all-conference pl- uh, selection at some, you know, whether it's first team, second team honor, and Tulane whipped them. Absolutely mm-hmm. kicked their butts. So – all credit to Tulane. Uh, flip side, yeah. secondary was awful in this game. They Their angles were awful. Their tackling was awful. Their effort mm-hmm. was awful. Mm-hmm. If they came up, I mean, there's a few turnovers forced, but if they came over and forced Tulane to punt like twice in the second half, it's a one-score game and possibly, possibly a different outcome. So you know? then but do you... Would- do you attribute – so I'm looking at the final stats, obviously, and just kind of reliving what happened. You're averaging three yards a rush for UCF. And that – you go back – I mean, that's, that's insane. But, okay, so you're that's saying – offensive line game whipped again, like I said. Right. So it's not Bowser, who who was basically the same guy, right, mm-hmm. you know, and he only had 20 carries, 85 yards. He did get one touchdown, but he only averaged 4.3 yards. So that's the line is what that's you're saying. Of, yeah, I'm saying I'm putting a lot okay. of this on the offensive line. I think – I mean, and, that's fair. And you can put on the UCF offensive line or credit to Lane's defensive front seven, either or probably a little bit of each. You know what I mean? On the other side, UCF's defense has thrived on being a bend but don't break defense. You know, they'll let you go three yards at a time. And eventually you make a mistake as the offense. You get called for a hold. You drop a pass. You take a sack. You and oftentimes that happens in the red zone. That's why UCF has such a good red zone defense. In this game, they weren't able to force Tulane to march the field. They just let Tulane walk down and have big plays. Yeah. And that was why the defense was struggled so much. And you know what? Again, credit Tulane for breaking them. Credit Tajay Spears for Ooh, being untackleable. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I know I'm kind of presenting this through the UCF lens. I'm sorry if that 
little bit off-putting sometimes that it's like that, especially when two lanes should be gained all the credit because they're the ones who won. But yeah, Tulane was untackable. Tulane well, was I'll, I'll, I'll say this about Tulane. They did win, but they did not make it easy on themselves. And in true yeah, Willie Fritz true. fashion, true. that third quarter, foot off yeah. the gas, Michael Pratt looked like the old version of himself. Things were not clicking again. So it's like I haven't seen Tulane put together a full game, right? Start to finish each quarter, executing uh, the way SMU. you know they can, right? SMU. Okay, well, I don't, SMU doesn't count because SMU <laughs> is trash. <laughs> uh, they're going to have to do that in the bowl game against USC. That's all I'm saying. Like, you can't have a bad quarter against better teams. I think it's a good matchup for Tulane. Especially. Oh, I'm excited. But... I mean, we, we are going to do a bowl preview next yes. week, so I don't need to dive into it now. We will. Caleb Williams' health is in question, and right. if I were him, and it was 50-50, I don't think I'd play. I'd play for next season because I mean, he's a sophomore and next year. I think USC has a legit shot at the playoff, just like they right. did this year. Why risk missing spring ball because you aggravate a hamstring? I mean, well, because I think, well, I bet you he gets pressure from alumni regarding re Lincoln Riley winning in his first year, a cotton bowl already. So I think it's already a good story a, already a successful year for, of course, Riley. But they're greedy over there. And we'll dive more into this next week yes. for sure. I mean, you're a big Pac-12 uh, person. You know a ton about it. So you know I have more covered, about it. Uh, I yes, I have covered the Pac-12 for a long time. Used to be a big stand. Uh, very frustrated for the way in which the conference is going now. But, go, you know. Go Washington. Love watching the little Washington this <laughs> year. Come on. I like, I'm an Oregon State girl. I think at heart, Jonathan Smith, incredible. He won Pac-12 Coach of the Year honors, split him with, um, I think, Deborah. Shout out to Arizona State for accidentally hiring the right coach this year. Mm. Mm. (laughs) That's failing upwards, and we love it. We love, I love Penny Dillian. I think he's great, so I'm excited. Deion's at Colorado now. Who knows what that means? That's just the worst. (laughs) It's the worst. I'm just glad they didn't, like, he went there, so Stanford didn't even have to pretend. Because people at Stanford were like, oh, let's get Deion. I was just literally going to. Who's Stanford getting? You know better than me. We're looking at, yeah, we'll talk about that in the other half. Let's finish up this this Tulane um, UCF. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Other than it was 31-28 very briefly in the second half where you go, oh, if UCF just gets one stop, mm-hmm. then they're in business mm-hmm. here, and it's a huge collapse for Tulane, and it's the more talented yeah. team. I I know it's a little Tulane one. UCF has more talent just on paper, and kind of flexing it out, and it didn't yeah. happen again. Tulane hit a big play, and the defense for UCF collapsed, and the offense was too banged up and too inefficient to respond. And you know what? Again, Tulane deserved to win. Happy mm-hmm. Cotton Bowl, Tulane. Good for you guys. Tulane came out and played a more physical brand of football yes. because they needed to. And so that was good to see. Michael Pratt, 20 of 33, almost 400 yards, four touchdowns, only one interception. Although the one he threw it was a for a minute, can yeah. I say, I, I loved the fact that, and I guess it's not Willie Fritz, I'm learning now that Tulane has a very great play caller on offense that is not Fritz and is not the offensive coordinator. Yep. It's another coach. His name is Slade Nagel. He's 
the tight ends coach, but I guess he just is a play calling whiz. So a lot of the things that I've admired about their play calling have come from him, which shout out to the guy. Cause that's great. I don't know if this one did, but listen, they're going to kick, they're going to kick a field goal. And instead they come out on fourth down, they go for it. I think that's so great, especially early on, like set that tone, you go for that on fourth down, but then Michael Pratt throws an interception. Like the, what are the worst passes I've ever seen? Yes. It gets tipped, but come on. And that just, for me, I was like, well, this is why you can't write your game story yet. This is why it's because you don't know what's going to happen, but he did end up having a good game. So I give him that Ty J Spears running back 22 carries almost 200 yards, just one, one yard shy, uh, one touchdown. And then you got to give credit to the receiving core Deuce Wyatt's uh, (laughs) Deuce Wyatt's Watts. I'm looking at Wyatt Uh, Deuce Watts three, Catches for 134 yards. What kind of stat line is that? <laughs> he had the craziest chunk plays. That's what ever. I'm saying about UCF's defense in this game. They let Tulane absolutely explode on them in ways that they hadn't let teams do all season. And that's what cost them. He had know? 89 yards after catch. <laughs> Insane. Lawrence Keyes had a big game too. Yeah. Uh, uh, my boy, Will Wallace getting in there, two catches for 16 yards. He was called the best blocking tight end in the American conference. And the fumble. He did fumble, but you know what? Well, it's fine. It was the one thing that Tulane's offense did wrong was a few turnovers. They did have, yes, they did have turnovers. They always have turnovers, so they have to offset that. So mm-hmm. anyways, um, really happy for them. Fritz was just, I think they did ask him about, you know, staying and and how that decision affected it. And he was like, listen, he wasn't going to go anywhere. He was going to coach in this game no matter what. And if that was going to be the difference in his contract, not going to Georgia Tech, so be it. I heard heard that was a huge part of it was that Georgia Tech wanted to introduce him and get him like and have him there. I heard that. And I heard it was money. They they they, they lowballed him. Yeah. It's bullshit. Turns out Georgia Tech's absolutely fake rich. They are a poor school and they yeah, they they straight turns out they're bad negotiators. Yeah. <laughs> so. He, from what I can tell, is he wanted to go there until they lowballed him and said you have to skip the conference championship game. And he was like, "Yeah, well, he's an honorable man, and there's few of like, them left, so good job." To skip your bowl game, as a head right? Coach, you don't skip the conference championship. How many coaches out there do you think would do that? It can't no, be that. I really many. don't think. I don't think there's really any. I mean, like, I don't know. You don't know until you're offered it. I guess. The right number would have to come around. Oh, yeah. but. Well, if they if they were paying him his worth, maybe it, he would have felt differently. But on top of that, the offer was low. So Georgia Tech, you do, you poor boys. Yes. Proud of Tulane. Uh, would not have thought in the beginning of all this journey that this is where we'd end up. But Tulane, first conference championship in many, many years. 98, and then before that, 49. Yeah, it's crazy. So hey. congratulations. Well... That was our game last weekend. Are you yeah. going to say something else about it? or do you? I was just going to talk about how many SEC teams Tulane has more SEC championships. Than, but <laughs> oh it's, it's They like, do. They always bring that up whenever, like, like when they, conference. yeah, <laughs> it's great. All right. Well, that wraps it up for our, you know, AAC coverage, except for the last game of the schedule. That's so special. It gets its own weekend, which yeah. I had never heard you refer that way. But when our guest came on and said that, I was like, Oh, that's real. Like this does get its own weekend. It's that special. So we are going to dive headfirst into this army Navy game with a very special guest commentator next. 
Should we disclose who it is or make them stick around? I stick around for what? We're not doing a big commercial break here. <laughs> well, well, you're right. I, hey, it works. Tell them who it is. <laughs> We're going to be joined now by Navy assistant coach and fullbacks coach, Jason McDonald, who is going to talk us through the Army Navy and talk to us about what the culture at Navy was like, what this year was like, and what it means to be a midshipman. Tons of different things. And if you can't tell, this was recorded before we recorded this. So we knew we know what he was going to say. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> All right, guys. As has been the trend in the past few weeks, we here at the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition, are trying to bring you to the people of the conference. Because really, Dan and I can only talk so much. And what do we know at the end of the day? Obviously, not much on my end because I am losing in most of the games that we try and predict. So we got to bring in people who know what they're talking about. So today, in honor of my favorite game of the year, the Army-Navy game, we have with us Navy football coach, assistant coach, and fullbacks coach. Guys, there are coaches for fullbacks, FYI. Uh, Jason McDonald, thank you so much for coming on and welcome to the underdog dynasty podcast well thank you for having me and yes there are fullback coaches thankfully for me <laughs> see and i i try and tell people i mean one of the things we talk about before dan gets into questions about fullbacks is they are kind of a, a lonely island sometimes because they they either have to go with the tight ends or they have to go with the running backs and sometimes they don't really have a program or like a position coach of their own so I'm I'm curious, like what it is, what it's like to get to ho- coach a whole room full of fullbacks. I mean, that's got to be like the ultimate experience for you. Yeah, no, I I love it every day coming to work, and you know, not only certainly a position that on the outside to many may seem like it's dying. Although those of us in in this world know that they just get called. We know better. Things, they get shuffled around, and you know, people might not want to use the term because maybe maybe it's not attractive to young kids coming out of high school. But the reality is, is the skill set somebody who's tough, somebody who can earn the hard yards, and most importantly, somebody who can do the hit it up in there and block, you know, for, for uh, maybe some guys who might be slightly faster and things like that. So you kind of couple those attributes and you, you pull that into kids who are going to represent this country. Uh, the kids who go to the United States Naval Academy are, are already the best of the best. And, and then, of course, you, you, you put them behind the offensive line here that we have at the Naval Academy. And it's just a special place to be and a, an unbelievable combination. And, and, you know, I know a lot of people talk about it. I know probably a lot of people use the word, but truly blessed to come here and, and go to work every day. And I don't look ever look at the clock. I don't ever feel like I'm punching the clock and I can be around these kids as much as possible. Bring my own sons around these young men as much as possible. I, I, I never take it for granted. And I cherish every day that I'm here. Well, I'm going to circle back with more football questions, but I'm going to let Dan have a crack at some like more technical stuff. And then we'll come back to that. And I definitely have some questions about the uniforms, which we have to talk about <laughs> because the best reveals and uniforms ever. They're incredible. So I'll let Dan get in here. Well, first off, it's army week. Obviously that's why you're on <laughs> <laughs> not to belabor for the point, but uh, it has a different feeling than the air force game does every year for both you and army white. Why is it that the Army game feels more important than Air Force, at least to the outside looking in it? You know, it's the feel for it's going to be different for every person. You know, the one thing I'll tell you is obviously you play in either one of those games, you're, you're laying everything on the line. And not that you don't do that every Saturday, but for our kids, when you get recruited, 
everything that's talked about, you know, is the Army Navy game. And, and that is that is the crown jewel really of all of college football. And you think about it, what other game is given its only day? Well, you know, you got the national championship that's given its only day because that's the only yeah. game being played. But I mean a national championships played at eight o'clock. On a, on a Monday and on a Tuesday night sometimes, you know, so how many kids are watching that? You know, how many parents are really are, are, are keeping their children up? If if I had to guess, I'd say there's probably a lot of fathers around this country who who have their sons or, or have their daughters sit down and watch the Army-Navy football game because that's the way the game is supposed to be played. It's the way the game was meant to be played. And, you know, not, not that other programs aren't laying it on the line, not that other programs don't play hard at all. I think, but when you when you watch an Army Navy game, whether it's the first kickoff, whether it's you know a field goal, whether it's the seventh play on the fourth drive, whatever it is, it's hard to find a one of twenty two kids not giving their all at, at every single chance they get. You know, and I think that that's what makes it so special. Just the football part of it, and then you bring in all the other stuff that that it stands for, what it means for this country, what it means for you know, for America, I mean, it's America is the greatest country in the world. And you've got you've got kids playing on that field who are willing to do things for everybody's safety in this country. And, and that can never you know, you can never scream that loud enough from the top of the mountain and, and how special this game is and how important this game is. There's a lot of pageantry that also what I noticed for my first time last year goes into it. I mean, to the point where you have goosebumps walking around that stadium with everything going on before. And then, you know, you have the Olympics, like little obstacle course in the middle of it that is taken very seriously by the the cadets in it. And do you ever find yourself stopping and kind of watching some of that stuff and just taking it in? I know you're focused on the game, obviously, but I mean, some of the the flyovers and the tributes last year, the 9-11 tributes, do you ever stop and, and watch that and kind of take it in? No, you know, Emily, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I worked at the prep school for, for eight years prior to this. You know, when we were at Springfield College, uh, you know, I, I got to go down with a couple of my GA buddies and we we took in an Army-Navy game in 2009. So when I'm in sitting in the stands, when I was sitting in the stands, absolutely. But, okay. you know, you know how it is when it's it, when it's time to when it's when you're in, when you're locked in and, and you're focused on it, it. It's tough to see all that stuff that's going on around you. You know, and I'm sure it's great. I'm sure that that uh, that everything that's happening is awesome. You know, I'm sure all those things are great. But, you know, we, we go up there and, um, you know, we get we go there with it with an intention and we go there with a job to do. That's fair. <laughs> You mentioned the uh, the prep school there. They spent some time. I don't know that everyone knows what that is. I was wondering if you could kind of just explain what that is to people and how it affects the actual academy. Yes, absolutely. So all three academies, you know, there's they have ways to get into the to the uh, all three schools. And you know, you think about it, kind of what the overall um, picture of what a, a Division One football player looks like. And you know, you think about the rigors of an academy. And you know, if you look at it and you're saying the the you know, the student who doesn't play sports coming in here, they're 1400 and above SAT, you know, they're a 35 and above ACT and they're a 4.0 plus GPA with all these different, you know, accolades and all these different extracurricular activities, you know, 
to be great if if that was every single football player that that walked this country. But it's you know we, we have to have some we have to have some some different type of people that come in, right? And we have to have people from different type of backgrounds. So you know the prep school up there in, New, in uh, Newport, Rhode Island exists, and you know it, it houses about two hundred fifty kids every year. And, and what happens is is you get the type of young man, the type of young woman who who the academy might say, hey, we think you're a heck of a young person. We think you might be fit for this role as a leader in this country. You know, we just want to make sure that you can, you know, you can handle the physics, you can handle the math, handle the English and chemistry that comes along with, with going to the United States Naval Academy. So they go up there for 10 months and, and they spend they spend 10 months in the program and, and they come down here and, and they're fit, ready to go for their plebe year. And I tell you what, I, I met I in all the time I did it. You know, I never met anybody when it was all said and done after going to, to NAPS and then after spending four years at the academy, I never met anybody who said, I wish I didn't go to NAPS. You know, I met a lot of people who said, man, I, I probably needed a year up there. I wish <laughs> I had gone. But but uh, the, 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 the young men and women who go there end up better for it at the end of the day. And, and it really helps them acclimate to their plebe year here. I didn't even know. I didn't know. I had not heard about that. So it's very interesting. Um, and I like that. I, I should have taken a gap year. I should have taken like three or not. Yeah, I should have taken an extra, you know, I needed it. So that's, I'm glad that you guys have something like that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's something that's that probably more and more young people are doing. I know it's something that's mm-hmm. more and more talked about, you know, when I graduated high school, it was, you know, you, you go to college, you go to four yeah. years of college, maybe five or six, if you do uh, graduate and then you go get a job. Now I think, you know, kids are smarter now, right? They want to explore some more things. There's no rush, especially with the cost of, of the majority of schools in this country. I don't think kids really want to rush into going to school. I, I think it's really smart and for kids to take a year and figure out what they're doing and, and, and take some classes and, and to go from there. So it really sets up well. There's a big difference between an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old. That much I know. That'll never change. That's true. That is 100% true. And you talk about things changing, right? College football, as we know it, has changed. Like, just immensely in just the last couple of years. Right. And one of the things I talked to coach kind of about in our discussion earlier and before the season started is I stupidly asked him about NIL, which I didn't realize, you know, in my head, I'm like, Oh, everybody does it. You know, how are you guys handling it? And he was like, no, we, we don't, we don't do that. But now you're seeing, and also no transfer portal, two things that are kind of like a big, you know, deal for players now in college football. So how are you guys navigating that change and, and, you know, evolving with it and, and, and rolling with the punches, I guess. Well, you know, when, when you go on the road and recruit and kids ask me about that, because I think it's just kind of ingrained in them nowadays is they want to know, you know, what people's NILs are and, and those kind of things. And listen, that's again, like, as an older generation, we can sit here and, and bark about it all we want and say these things, but it's just the truth. It's just, it's just, you have to adapt because that's what it is now. And well, I say, you know, coach is absolutely right. We don't, we can't engage in that, but the, here's the deal, right? Like if you get an NIL and I'm sure everybody's deal is different. I'm not, I don't really understand the intricacies of how it works, but you know, I, I got to imagine an NIL deal might last a year. It might mm-hmm. last as long as you're with that program. You know, what happens to that NIL deal if you get injured? What happens to that NIL deal if you transfer? I don't know. If you graduate the United States Naval Academy, you have a guaranteed job in either the United States Marines or the United States Navy. So to me, that's the best NIL and deal you could possibly have. And so you've got a guarantee, you've got a hundred percent job placement for the young men and women who graduate this fine institution. And then on top of that, when they're out after five Mm -hmm. years, if they choose to get out. You know, then then they have 
the reputation and they have the greatest network in the country mm-hmm. of being a graduate of the United States Naval Academy. And they can go out and, you know, I'm not even sure how many of them need to have a resume at that point, because for the most part, what ends up happening is your big Fortune 500 companies in this country get in touch with them and say, hey, look, you come work for me, you know, and mm-hmm. I and I tell kids, I hear stories all the time. Coach, you know, I'm working at Amazon now. Coach, I own my own Chick-fil-A now. You know, coach, I'm looking to do this. I'm like, and and I'm just like, really? You know, like, really? And I'm like, how'd you get into that? Well, the reason I got into that is because another guy who graduated from the Navy Football Brotherhood called me up and said, hey, I got a position over here. Why don't you come take a look at this? So, you know, NIL deals, I'm sure they're great while they're happening. And I'm sure that 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 the money looks good when you sign that contract and it's all on paper. But, you know, if if my son had an opportunity to, to engage in something that promised his future where that, where that deal kept turning over and over and over again every year, that, that to me is, is worth way more than signing it, signing an NIL contract for a year or two years or whatever it may be, you know? So look, not every, it's not for every kid, right. you know, certainly not everybody can come here and, and, and get through this place academically that that's, you got to find the right person who's out there and, but they're out there. You know, and and, yeah. and there's some there's some darn good ones. Like I say, it's it's we got the best of the best. You know, they got to be able to play football at the highest level. They got to be able to to get through the pressures of, of the Naval Academy. They got to be able to to, you know, get through everything that happens in the hallway on a daily basis, in the classroom mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And then they got to get ready to go play UCF. They got to get ready to go play ECU. <laughs> you know, this is this is this is real deal football here. You know, so when you talk about the transport portal, you know, geez, man, some of these schools that 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 we play against week in and week out in this excellent conference, they might have 35 new players by the time mm-hmm. we see them, you know, and, and most of those guys came from from power five schools. So yeah. you know, it's a it's a special type of person that comes to this school and, and they're highly rewarded for making that choice. That's for sure. I like that. Yeah. And then, I mean, the fullback this year for Navy or the primary one's been Fofana. I was wondering if you could talk about him and just what makes him special because when he gets going, he, can get going. He, he really gets going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Daba, Daba has been. Um, he's one of those guys that's been locked on since the day he showed up on campus. And and I'm not sure how much you guys know about about young Daba, but he he's somebody who's going to carry a high GPA his whole four years. Who's here? He's got lofty goals for what he wants to do uh, in the military and what he wants to do in life. Uh, he plays the cello. You know, he was in, he was in the choir here and, and he, and, you know, so he did all these things. And, and on top of that, you know, he also ran for a hundred plus yards on Notre Dame. He ran for a hundred plus yards on UCF, you know, so he's, so he, he's been an absolute pleasure to coach. Um, and, and I think what I'll tell you about Daba more than anything is he is the type of person that you would want in your locker room. He's a type of person that you would want in your corner. He's a type of person you'd want, you know, in your military He's the type of person you'd want in your organization. If, if you ran a company, I mean, hell, if you had a daughter, he's the type of person that, that you'd want your daughter to bring home, you know? So I, I can't speak enough to, to Daba's character as a young man. And, and I can't speak enough to, you know, how he's provided a nice spark for this football team in, in times of need. And, and, you know, I think he's come along well, you know, I, I think I, I once want to point out this, you know, mm-hmm. so Daba is a, is a, tr- is a sophomore, 
You know, Anton is a sophomore yeah. and Logan, who's who's third, is a sophomore. Yeah, you know, young them is a freshman. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's we have seniors in the room, but but many but the guys who are seniors don't have much playing time. And, and so, mm-hmm. you know, obviously they can help out and things like that. But but Dab is a sophomore. I mean, you, you, you talk about I mean, he got his he had his first big break in his Tulsa game. I think that was only his second start. You know, so he's it's only going to go this way. Right. Like it's like, I mean, heck, he's he's a he's a sophomore at this point. And sometimes I look at him and I feel like he's a you know, he's at the end of his junior year, you know, because he's so he's so mature and, and so disciplined and things like that. But, you know, there's a bright future here in the Naval Academy uh, football program. That's for sure. He's he sounds guy. like kind of an old soul. Is he would you say that? Bye. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if people want me to call him an old soul. But he's certainly, <laughs> yeah, like in a good way. Like he's, he's mature. He's, yeah, he's he's not the kid that he's not the kid you're going to meet every day. And I think that's what's special right. about this place, right? Like our locker room's different. You know, our mm-hmm. our locker room is filled with guys who have stories just like him. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and again, like I I and. And again, this is not to say that that anybody's wrong or 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 we're the only ones who do things the right way, but I I just think it's just the nature of where this game is going. I think so many of it is, you know, I, well, you know, I got mine, you know, I I I got these, I got yeah. this, I got that, and listen, that's that's not on the kids. That's kind of where we we've taken this as a sport, right. where where it's gone to and what it's becoming, and you know, I think that's the reality of it. And it makes this place and shines an even brighter light on, on the Naval Academy, because it's not that way here. And, you know, you're not going to last here if that's kind of the, kind of the way that you are, you know, so this place is built for people who are going to put the team before them. And, and, and certainly as long as Kenny and Montalolo was the coach, then that's how it's always going to be because that's the way he builds his program. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then Daba would be the person that you would let date your daughter. If I had one, I would, I would, Daba would be the type of person certainly that would, uh, that, that I would want my daughter. But it sounds like a lot of the guys could be that guy. So, you know, Absolutely. you're like, oh, I wouldn't let this guy date my daughter, but it sounds like a lot of your locker room could, would be approved. So that's nice. <laughs> to probably put it better is that, is that I try to get my two sons around these guys as much as possible. So there you that go. they can grow up to be, to be like them, you know, and, and yeah. as a father, I'd be a fool not, not to get my boys around these guys as much as possible. And, and certainly that's something that's always, that's always pushed by coach Nehemiah to bring the family around as much as possible. Awesome. I like yeah, uh, you just mentioned uh, Coach Nia Matalolo there. I was wondering if you could also talk about same way, I guess, is uh, what he's like to be around as a coach, what he does that makes, I and mean, he's had incredible success at Navy compared to the challenge that it is, I think. So I was wondering if you could talk about what he's done that's special there. Yeah, I, I think probably different people are going to give you different answers, and 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 some people might make this you know, all about football and wins and losses because he is the winningest coach in the history of this fine institution. But what I'll tell you, um, what's easy for me is that I was raised in a household and I was raised by a high school football coach who, you know, always taught character and always taught love and always taught those were the foundations and the principles that you're going to build a football program off of. And yeah, obviously the, the intent is to win. Certainly at this level, if you don't win, you know, things, things happen. Right. But, but I think that the thing for me, when I'm around coach Niamatololo every day, you have a man of the highest character. Mm-hmm. You have a man who's, who's always going to choose the right. 
You have a leader who's extremely clear about what his expectations are. You have a leader who's extremely clear about what he wants his culture to be. And as an assistant coach, I, I value that heavily. You know, certainly I think that, that in any organization, when it's not clear what your role is, when it's not clear what the organization's culture is, when it's not clear what your expectations are and your expectations of each other and, and what your boss has expected you, you to do, I, I think that, that that can lead to some sideways type of things, you know, and, and that's never the case here. And, and being around Coach Nehemiah, I've learned so much, um, you know, as a husband and as a father, and I never have to sacrifice my morals or my values or my family's morals or values, you know, working here in this program. Um, and, and that's, I don't know. I don't know if that's true in every, in every division one football program. I hope it is, but you know, you just, you just don't know that, but here I can say emphatically without a doubt that that's the case. Um, and to see the way that those young men look at him and, and, you know, it's, it's the proof is in the pudding, right? Like you, you can, you can, say whatever you want to say as a head coach you can do whatever you know you can you can tweet whatever you want to tweet you can have your organization tweet whatever they want to tweet but i'm just telling you how it is you hang around this football program for an entire year what you're going to see whether it's june 24th whether it's september 15th whether it's december you know 7th as we're getting ready for the army game there's going to be former players who come back and mm -hmm. the reason they come back is because they want to bring their wives and children to meet Coach Niamatololo and to meet Coach Jasper and to meet Coach Ingram, you know, and to meet Coach Okadis, you know, mm -hmm. the guys who spent decades, you know, been here for a decade, to meet Coach O'Rourke, to meet Coach Green on defense. You know, these are guys that had a profound impact on their lives when they were when they were teenagers and when they were in their young 20s. And, and to watch them come back here and to and to bring their families around as a source of pride, you know, to meet Coach Nehemiah and to meet Coach Jasper and those guys I mentioned, it's just it's an amazing thing to be around, you know, and uh, it's a special, special place to be. I've literally been telling Dan this forever, but I think that's the biggest metric of how good a program is innately is when the guys come back you see all the guys come back to the sideline they want to be at the games and support the players and be in the locker room and whatnot because i'll tell you this out here on the west coast we have some teams in california that players do not come back to and did not come back to so you definitely notice that and i think that's like a huge indicator people don't think about you know but i think when you break it down you know for me anyway mm -hmm. You know, and I, and I and maybe it happens at, at, at Division three level. Certainly, I, I'm lucky enough. I'm a part of a, the Springfield College team that that where that kind of program where that happens. But I, it doesn't happen often at Division ones. But you think about it like this. You know, like Coach Niamatololo has been a part of this program for for 24 years. You know, yeah. maybe 25. And, and so, you know, how many different generations of young men can say that they were coached by Coach Niamatololo? And the, the thing about it is, is you know, what's somebody's reason to go back to a school and visit if nobody who coached them is, is any longer a part of that program? Right? True. And if you have a program that's changing coaches constantly and there's a revolving door with a transfer portal, why would anyone go back? You know, yeah. and, and so it, that's the I kind of look at it and the stability here of the Navy football program is an amazing um 
you know, it's just an attribute to coach Neil Matalolo. That's, that's not something that doesn't happen often. And certainly moving forward, I, I don't know how much longer it will happen. You know, just the way the, the landscape of this, of this sport is going. Yeah. And, you know, you think about it, you got, you've got guys now who are, who are 40, who can come back and say they played for him. You got guys who are 30 you got guys <laughs> in their twenties and they all played for him. Now, now he wasn't always the head coach, but he was, he was, right, but he was there. Yeah. yeah. But that's a, that's a special thing. And, yeah. and that's something that, that does not happen. And, and, you know, when you're getting recruited by a school, you know, that's something I, I think that as a parent and a, and a young man, you got to take a hard look at, man, man, this is, this guy's been here, been here for a long time. There's a reason for that. Cause it's not like he hasn't had opportunities to do other things. That's for sure. Right. But, you know, I, I think it just, it, it speaks volumes to who coach Nehemiah is as a person, who his family is and, and the type of place that, that this place is. Cause it, it's, it's drawn him to stay here for this many years, you know, and to be a part of this. That's wild. 40, like someone that's wild that that many people have been coached by him. And, and, and I know it like numerically, but that's crazy to think about. Like, that's wild. Um, I want to ask you quickly before, you know, we take too much of your time, a little bit about this year's Army Navy game. Every year, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, this game is so unique. It's almost like it's even more than a rivalry game where you go into it and it's really, you can prepare. And I'm sure you guys are doing, you know, what you need to do to, to face off against this Army team. But there's got to be a lot of intangible things and just an energy that you can't, you know, predict in something like this. So I'd be curious to know, like, how you're preparing for this year's Army team and, and what you guys are doing to, to get ready for this weekend. I think, you know, and again, it's 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 not that you don't prepare for every team to go out and win because you certainly do. I just think that there's a, there's a level of focus that, that this game requires, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to make sure that, that your plan has the highest level of clarity for your young men so they can go out and they can just play fast, you know? And I don't think that anybody's ever going to question anybody's effort in, in this game. You know, you just want to make sure that, you know, when I go to sleep at night, that, that I've done the job, the best of my ability to make sure that my guys in my room have a complete and absolute awareness of what their job is and in, in that moment and what their role is, you know, come Saturday. I'm excited for it. Dan, you got another question before we wrap up? Yeah, I guess I, I want to get a little bit more technical about the triple without getting too technical where everyone's like, I don't know what I'm thinking, what I, we're talking about here. <laughs> but obviously you and Army both run the triple. How similar is the versions that you run to each other? Like we hear all these different teams are spread offense, but it's not the same. Like Josh Eiffel and Gus Malzahn at UCF, that's not the same offense, even if it's right. the same spread. Uh, so what is the difference in the triple that we'll see from Navy versus Army and is there a way to spot it for a fan or is it just have to, you know, I, yeah, no, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways, you know, you can go with that. And, and, you know, they, they've got great coaches over there and they're going to, they're going to employ a system that they feel best fits the, the athlete that they recruit, you know, and we do the same thing here, you know, so, you know, we might, we might do things a certain way, you know, here because those are the kind of guys that we recruit and, and, you know, they, they do a certain thing over there. And, and 
you know, I don't want to, I'm certainly not going to speak to what they do because I'm not in their staff room. So I don't, you know, I don't know what they're trying to accomplish. You know, that's, that's, uh, I'd be a fool to try to speak on anything that they try to do, but (laughs) you know, for us, it's just, it's kind of the, the age old thing is we're just going to give what the defense takes us. You know, and or take what the defense gives us. <laughs> I was like, wait, is he yeah. getting <laughs> Sorry about that. We're gonna take what the uh what the what the defense gives us, you know. So um, you know, certainly I, I think if for for a fan, if if they sit back, you know, and they watch us play, you know, SMU on a Friday night or they watch mm-hmm. us play UCF on a Saturday morning, you know, they might they might think, hey, we're running the same thing over and over again. Like it's just, it's just this one way, that one way. But the reality is, is each one of those plays have different intricacies to them. You know, each one of those plays, the quarterback might be looking at something different. And and we're just trying to to do the best job that we can do to put our team in a position to be successful. That was awesome. I, I think you have something there with if you say it the other way, because that <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give give what the defense takes us. I like that. Yeah, yeah, you never know. <laughs> like a t-shirt. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit really quickly and then we'll wrap up about the uniforms. Okay, this was a huge every year. We always everyone just talks about the uniforms. This year, I think is very interesting. Um, and we won't get too much into like both of them, but maybe you could speak a little bit about what the process, like when they reveal them, you guys don't know, right? Like, is it a surprise to you guys too, when they roll them out to you? It is. And Emily, I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but like, I'm the last person on staff <laughs> I want to talk to about the uniforms. You know, I just, it's, it's, you know, I, they are special. They're, 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 they're great. You know, Under Armour did an unbelievable job. Our equipment team did an unbelievable job, you know, but it's, it's, a little bit like the question you asked me about the flyovers and all the pageantry, you know, I'm kind of locked You're just into like, what, nah, what we got to do on not Saturday. Not for you. you know? Okay. But it's neat that they're honoring like NASA and this from the sea to the stars. It's kind of yeah. a cool theme. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. And, and well, you know, after it's always, it's always one of those things where, you know, in January when things settle down, stuff like that, maybe you you'll get to like look back and you get to appreciate it a little bit more, but Fair enough. Where where we're sitting at right now, you know, at six forty five on on the sixth of December, you kind of your mind is kind of locked into to one thing. Okay, that's fair. Well, then let me ask a football question. Um, but it won't be Army, but it's football. So in the you mentioned the AAC a lot, and you mentioned all these really great teams because it is a very good conference and gets a little lost, you know, because it's not power power five. And um, where is your favorite place to play in the AAC? Aside from your home stadium. Yeah, well, it might not be the Power Five, but certainly last year was probably the third best conference in the country, right? <laughs> Just based off the playoffs, uh, you, you take a look at you. You take a look at what our strength of schedule was last year, you know, and it's yeah. tough. It's hard to say it's not one of the best conferences in the country, you know. Um, but I, but I, you know, this this oh, this place has great. This this um, conference has great places to play. You know, yeah. I, I I enjoy going to all of them. You know, especially no, you cannot myself. say all of them. You have to pick like one that's like fun to play in because the fans are loud, or one that's hard because maybe it's a tough environment. Yeah. Well, by far the best one is you is the United States Naval Academy at Navy <laughs> Marine Corps Stadium. That's for sure. I'll tell you that for nothing. And that, that's that's by far the best one. So and, okay. and there's plenty of coaches that will tell you that too, because of everything that happens there. But you know, I, I think uh for myself being a division three guy, you know, to go into these stadiums and every week in and week out, you know, and, and everybody's different and, and to see the, the stuff that's going on. And, and I think, you know, where we've got to in this conference 
you know, when you're I, well, back when we were independent, the, you know, I hear you hear stories from the coaches, and it's like, you know, you'd walk in the stadiums and everybody be cheering for you and clapping for mm-hmm. you and saying thank you. And that's all well and great, but you know, you were there to do work. And, and here, I think it's gotten to the point now where, where I, th- I think the conference might be over that with us. You know, there's not, there's not, <laughs> not always thank yous and how you doing so much anymore. It's, it's I think it's, it's, it's all about the rivalry and football now, which, which we appreciate because that's what our kids love. Do we're okay? Will you like? Are there any like mean fans? Like, where's like UCF probably has really mean fans. You right know, now. it's so it, it's so loud in UCF. I wouldn't be able to single anybody out, man. They do a okay. great they do a great job over there. You know, uh, <laughs> getting that place going. You're just not gonna take my bait. That's fine. Um, my last my last kind of question for you is I'm not even gonna bother asking you about hobbies because you clearly like football. That's but then that's fine. I love that, and that's such a pullback thing. Um, but I've talked to Coach Ken a few times, and we talked a little bit about golf because I live in Pebble Beach, and so you know we had this conversation about golf. He likes to golf. He said he's terrible at it. Um, do you know of another hobby that Coach Ken has that that he is? Really into or something like that well i can actually speak to you on this one he whoops my yes. butt in tennis every single day at lunch so <laughs> really? tennis. But yeah yeah i'm not very good coaches coaches good at tennis and uh you know when it, so sometimes during the week we might be able to get out there and, and, and play and and I, I tell you awesome. I, we, I i started playing this year and i don't know what the number is i mean but heck we must have played at least 50 times i i, I never come close to beating them so <laughs> you, can, you can chalk that up to a hobby of his as well <laughs> no that's definitely is he like does he have like a wicked serve or is he like what's his strength of his game he just plays it he has a, he has a really good cut shot and i'm not much of an okay. athlete anymore so he can place the ball in places i can't you can't get, to, get so. it <laughs> gotcha that's that's awesome all right well dan do you have anything else before we let this man get back to his army prep no, I think we've taken up enough of this time. <laughs> we definitely have. Well, thank you so much, Coach, for coming on and talking to us and for all the fans out there that get a little peek inside, you know, what this Navy football program is all about. And I have to say two things. Good luck this weekend, Godspeed, and run the damn ball. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, Coach. Have a great night, guys. And that was Jason McDonald from Navy. Uh, Emily, I thought he was great. I don't know about you, though. Oh, Jason <laughs> Yeah, just totally couldn't stand it. Yeah, right. Jason is my guy. I'm so happy that he came on. But you know, it's funny. I was really trying to get him, you know, me with my like fun questions, trying to get people to open up, say some things. He is a very tunnel vision, like one track minded guy in a good way. Very like focused on the game, dedicated. His personality fits the Naval Academy too. Yeah, but he but he's funny. He's still funny and he's still like personable. And I really like talking with him. But man, I could not crack him. I could not get him to tell me anything. ECU is the best. You you just I just kept trying to get him to say anything, and he was like, "Listen, he wasn't gonna fall for it." So, but he did share with us that he and Coach Niamatololo play tennis together, which of all. Really, when I was like, what hobby? You know, that was literally not even on my radar. I was hoping great. I was hoping he was gonna say Kim was a huge surfer because you know he's a Hawaiian guy. Yeah, I'm in Annapolis right on the ocean there. No, I'd love to I couldn't I couldn't see that. No. That's it. I can't see tennis either, but that's not the point. I can see tennis over surfing a hundred percent. Well, I think surfing would be more fun. Maybe, but he's better at tennis and he probably likes beating people. So it's like, because he's probably very competitive. That's right. It's a little bit like the Bill Belichick wishes he was a lacrosse coach thing. Yeah. Uh, people know that. Look, like, look at Bill Belichick lacrosse. He prefers it to football. 
such a Bill Belichick thing. Anyway, so let's dive into our thought. I mean, you just heard Jason, Coach McDonald's, I shouldn't call him Jason, Coach McDonald. He just shared his thoughts on, you know, Navy and the Army-Navy game and everything that's happening. But let's talk about what we think about this 122nd Army-Navy game and you know what? I'm going to share, like, you're. I know you're going to go into the technical stuff and, like, what the actual matchup looks like. You know, Army has the slightly better offense heading into the game. Mm-hmm. Navy's got this, blah, blah, blah. But I want to talk about the uniforms because I felt like I was robbed of that mm-hmm. conversation. You Don't know him. Yeah, he didn't want to talk about it. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of the game, let's talk for a minute about these uniforms, okay? Army... And Navy came out with their uniforms for the game. Navy came out with it first, and it was a NASA theme. And -hmm. it's from the star or from the sea to the stars, which I think is just so poetic and beautiful. They've got it's a tribute to the astronauts from their academy, which I actually didn't realize they have more astronauts than any other that makes so much sense. Branch of it. That makes branch of the military. Yeah. Yeah. Um so their uniforms are going to be white. If you haven't seen what they look like, I did a whole breakdown on Twitter that you can go find or just go to the Navy, you know, handle. They're white. They've got the blue helmets. They have little detailing with the flags. I went through every single, literally every single thing that they told us about these uniforms and tweeted it out so that you could see, like, yeah. from the font to the astronaut pin that's on the palm of the gloves to the stripe down the center of the helmets. But um, Emily, that insights why people should be following you on Twitter, is it not? Yeah, you should for gems like this, 100%. I actually was thanked by both organizations for the work I did here because it did take a while to go through all these photos. But I just think what an incredible... So they blow us out of the water with these uniforms, right? And we're like, like this is amazing, great, right? So everyone's like, when are armies coming out? So then a, a week later, army comes out with their uniforms. Now, when I sent both of these to my photographer who was going to be shooting the game, she was not happy with the army color scheme. Because at first blush, they don't look very aesthetically pleasing, right? Like the Navy was like white and blue and red and America and great. If you look at these army ones, they are dedicated to world. They're honoring World War II and the first armored um, division. So the Ironside Mm -hmm. soldiers, I think is what. Um, Yeah, the Iron Soldiers. Yes, the first armored division at the 80th anniversary of Operation Torch in Europe and the deserts of North Africa. So you look at the uniforms, they're kind of white, beige, brown. They've got the yellow numbers and the writing. They have the helmet decals for the first armored divisions unit, which I thought was cool because it has the yellow, blue, and red, which is the yellow is the cavalry, blue is infantry, and red is field artillery, which I didn't know. So that was kind of neat. They also have that on the gloves when they do that like Mm -hmm. triangle thing. It makes the triangle, which is really neat. I like this part of it, the mud splatter to Mm -hmm. to highlight the harsh conditions experienced in North Africa. I thought that was cool. Kim hated it. She was like, they look dirty. I don't understand. And I think, I think it just, and then this is the best part, right? On the upper right part of the chest of, of the army uniforms, each player will wear the mascot from their cadet company, which I was told is very special for them because soldiers around the world can then look at the players on the field and see, oh, that's a guy from my unit and feel connected to them, which I thought yeah. was so cool. I think that's really cool. Uh, I do I'm literally think getting goosebumps, like talking Year about in, it. year out, I think the Navy uniforms are better for this game. I think it's, right. this army tends to make theirs very fatigue-like in color scheme. And Navy uses like the blue and gold and makes it pop, I feel like, more. 
You know they I mean? do. And I, of course, Navy's more cyclic pleasing. I'll give them that. What, the other thing is they have their regiment number inside a big star that's on the on the chest. So that that's another way for cadets who are watching mm-hmm. to connect, be like, oh, that guy's from my unit. So I think that Army went into a little more detail. And, and personally, since my grandfather was a World War II baton death march survivor, this meant a lot to, to see them honoring the people who fought for us. They they have the 48 flag star, star flag used during World War II on the back of the helmets. They have such cool little details all throughout the uniform. Um, Nike designed this one, whereas Under Armour designed the Navy ones. Um, they even designed special shoes for the Navy, I mean, for the Army uniform, which are really cool looking if you see them. So I don't know, which ones did you like better? The Navy ones, and okay. that's a purely aesthetic choice. I mean- I See, think I, everything yeah. that the army ones represent is cool and yes. definitely meaningful. And I agree that there's a lot of little cool designs. Aesthetically, the navy ones are just better, though. I do like the cleats that Under Armour Under Armour did the shoes, and they mimicked the white moon boots with dots representing the stars. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, will that's say pretty bold of Navy to steal UCF's claim to space. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, okay, well, that is my little you know breakdown about the uniforms. Why don't you tell us what you see happening in this game? What what should we be looking for? I, by the way, Dan, if you didn't, I mean, I'm sure you all were just listening, but Dan asked Coach McDonald what the difference is between the two triples. <laughs> I, that's a legit question. <laughs> I mean, and he. I mean, how did you think he was going to answer that? To be honest with you, I was honestly hoping for like, a, hey, they do a little bit more like counter, like on this, or they do a little bit more mm-hmm. like, you know, like maybe they cut more than we do, or something like that. I don't know, something small like that. That's what I was thinking. You know, I thought was interesting is that you do make a good point because when they're on the football field, the playbooks are similar, right? But yeah. what Coach McDonald said is they are if you, to the untrained eye, maybe, but they are actually very different in how they operate the triple. So I thought that was and kind of interesting. Yeah, well, I was getting, it's like how Sophie he pointed out where the differences are, but fair um, enough to him. Fair enough yeah. to him for not from being like, I'm not gonna touch what Army does because yeah. fair enough to him. Because he he can't. Yeah. And also not, he doesn't want to give right. away his secrets. So like, you yeah. know, you put him in a tough spot I, there. But I, I was hoping to get a little just strategy insight. That's all. <laughs> wasn't trying to put wasn't trying good, to list his good own. Good for you for trying, Dan. Good hey, for you. That's all. <laughs> Uh, anyways, but it is a triple versus triple game, which of yes. course means very few points are going to be scored. It is means we get to run the damn ball the over, over and under, over. And like the over under is 33. 30. Points. I saw. 30. You had, saw 30? I saw a 33. Oh, it made it gone up. Oh, smash the under like 95% of the time in the academy games, it hits the under. No matter how low you put it, it's not low enough. Uh, I don't know. I have, I have, okay. And we know that I'm not Emily, always right. Emily, I have Emily. a feeling that this game is going to pop off. I do. I, well, okay. You're wrong. I know. Well, but I, I believe, I believe you believe that 95%. I'm just of telling you I have this, a feeling. 95% of this time the, the game hits the under 20 to yeah. 10. This game popping. But off. there is a percentage that it could go off. Navy's favored by a whopping one and a half points. Yeah, it's like one and a half points. So literally, this is going to be a race to the finish. Do you think it's going to come down to a field goal? Oh, it has in the past. I will. I will cry if that's what happens. Ooh. Yeah, and I mean, the reason this game is always so tight and close is because mm-hmm. they care so much. That's part of it. You know, there's never a point where either team's like, "Oh no, they've beaten us." It's you know, what I mean, it's much more. There's just so much determination to win this game. But there's also, 
a familiarity between these two, you know, because they do both run the triple and they do both, yeah. you know, they know what they're kind of going to see as they play annually. There's a lot of reasons for it, but mm-hmm. they know how to play each other really well. And again, the triples are not exactly the same. They want to do different things out of it. They're going to they're, uh, they're attack it different ways. I forgot to ask Coach McDonald what he thinks about it being played back at Lincoln Field because last year, obviously, it was in New York and they announced all these different sites for it. But from what I'm hearing, Philly is like really where they prefer it is is the best environment. It's Philly is a good in-between. It's true home. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good in-between location for the two campuses. It's a good, I guess, like historically American city is a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you always get cold weather at this game, which is one of my favorite things about it. Well, you know what's funny is Coach McDonald said, you know, he told me to get a sweatshirt because I'm going to be cold. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to their SID after, and he said it's it's not it's like 45 to 50 or something. It's going to be like 50 degrees, which is cold, but not cold, cold, right? I think 48. Yeah, that's not. I that mean, range. that's not like that's- freezing. I mean, depends on what you're comparing it to. You know? Yeah, for me, it's going to no, be freezing. Freezing is 32 or lower. Don't get me wrong. That's it's going to be freezing for me, though. I'm going to be cold, but I don't feel like these guys will be cold. That's like probably refreshing. Yeah. They they won't. That's good football weather for this time. Of year. Yeah, in New York, it was like snowing when we, they played it last year. It was raining so hard it started like snowing because it was so cold. So yeah. I think it'll be nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ty Lavate is out for Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a huge loss. I don't think because of that, I don't expect Navy to throw much at all. Uh, and then you've got Andre Carter on the RME side of the ball, who's a legit first round talent in the NFL draft. And yeah. uh, saying that he ended up at Army with all the talent that he has, but basically from my understanding, he's a guy who was a late developer and obviously fit the mold. Maybe he wanted to go to Army. It's not about well, ending up in Army. Like well, There's a couple things to it. You know what I mean? First off, he was under-recruited. Like, if mm-hmm. you go back and look at star rating, it's not high. You know what I mean? So he's a late developer, so other teams weren't in on him. But yes, he also had the the desire and the ability to get into West Point. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's a twofold thing, for sure. But legit first-round talent, he's the big concern that he blows up your entire game if you're Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually probably want to option off of him because you want to put him in that bind where whatever his decision is made, whatever decision he makes is the wrong one. You don't want him to like be able to just show off his athleticism and you want to make him hesitate. You know? Yeah. So in a weird it's, way, you kind of want to go after him. But yeah. But yeah. This game's gonna be over in like two hours. It's gonna go so quick. I I love that because I have a Christmas party to go to um, that <laughs> night in Philly. So I'm like, yeah. let's go. But one thing I want to point out before we move on to the coaching carousel is all of the pageantry that goes into it. I know Coach McDonald had said, you know, that's not something they focus on, and of course I get that. But if you have never been to an Army Navy game, you should go because it's not just the game leading up. They have a prisoner exchange. They do a drumline battle thing mm. that goes on. Um, they, and like they have each student body March on the field pregame. I mean, I, it was when I went last year, I was like unreal the amount of people. And then everyone in the stands is cheering, you know, for the people that they know. So it was almost like a graduation. It was weird. And then in the halftime, 
they do like a um, obstacle course between the cadets and it's taken very seriously on who wins it. So, oh my gosh, it was, it's really incredible. And I think it's something like it doesn't, it just, people don't talk about this enough, how everything around it. And then today, I don't know if you saw this, but Navy carried out a secret mission against army. Yes. They, they dropped ping pong balls on army, like ahead of, they they flew three planes circled i guess the campus which they must have gotten clearance to do if i think about it i'm sure that i don't think that you could just fly above yeah you couldn't fly above west point just for fun yeah good natured yada yada yeah so they they made 12 passes right and they dropped uh i guess their leaflet drops and they had beat army on like the pieces of paper and then like fly Navy, go Navy on all the ping pong balls. So it was an air to ground spirit mission is what they were calling it. Um, two, 12 delivery passes dropped the beat army fly Navy leaflets along with ping pong balls over army West points, the apron army cadets could be seen breaking formation and running for cover. Uh, as the midshipmen <laughs> completed their mission, they flew down the Hudson river to take a pass around lady Liberty before flying back South to the better service Academy along the Severn river. Nice. So I nice. thought that was kind of cool. Like that's something new that's that they fun. haven't. I, I love that kind of thing. That's, yeah. that's the kind of thing that makes college football supremely enjoyable over other sports over professional sports over everything else. I mean, this article is on CNN and they're interviewing the Naval Academy spokesperson saying that additional details regarding Operation Black Knight falling were unavailable due to mission details being held at the highest Naval Academy classification levels. I think it's great that they're, you know, like tongue in cheeking this. That, that's perfect. That's everything yeah. college football is supposed to be. To be honest. It is. It is. And they said, you know, everything's done in safety and everything was, you know, but it's funny because even, even though it was clearly a joke and done in jest and like very fun, there were still people on the internet that were like, oh my God, they're littering. Were there really? Yes. Like oh. grow up. Like, Obviously you, those things like were cleaned up. Some freshman at West Point who's got a broom right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they've always they've always done pranks b- between yeah. these games, like, yeah, like kidnapping. Yeah, always and, to steal the goat and all that. Right. Stuff. They, but this one is kind of cool because it's a little different, and um, I don't think, from what I've heard, there's no planned uh, retaliation. But apparently, yeah, that's what they're gonna say. There was a video showing uh, showing a group of cadets sneaking around Naval Academy's campus in the dead of yeah. the night. Looking so for the maybe we'll goat. maybe we'll hear about another one. They're going to get the goat and paint it, you know, with an army color or something like that. That's a whole thing they do, you know. I guess this is the hundred. Wait, one hundred and twenty third. Did I say one hundred and twenty second? I have no idea what you said. I'm not, I, I'm not, I now I'm seeing conf- conflicting reports here, but the, anyways, I thought you would think that story was neat. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I'm excited uh, to be there this weekend. It'll be fun. Yeah. But who's going to win the game, Emily? I'm gonna go with Navy. Yeah, go Navy, beat Army. Yeah, We're both I like Army. both of them a yeah. lot. But yes, yes, yes. Now this our AAC allegiance. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah, this is an AAC, AAC podcast. We're going with the AAC team. We are. That's Navy. Uh, right. Emily. Last thing on the agenda. 
the coaching carousel, Emily. Oh God, I don't want, I don't want rages. <laughs> I'm so tired of it because it's so sad. Like I, I find it incredibly interesting as long as you don't. Yeah. I know what you're going to say though. As long mm-hmm. as you don't consider the human element of it. Right. If you can look at it from a hundred feet, it's really interesting. If you <laughs> think about people losing their jobs, it is sad. And um, having to uproot their families and what the, the wives and yeah. the kids have to go through. It's crazy. We often talk about the head coaches who get big buyouts and things like that, but low level assistants don't get those same buyouts. That's no, hundred percent. They don't, they don't even know if they, for example, I was talking, I don't know if you saw Jake Spavadol got hired at Cal as an OC. So his triumphant return, glad to have Spav back in the Bay, but I was talking to his tight ends coach. Yeah. I like Spav. I think he's, I think he's a good I coach. Think, I mean, he did everything. Head coach is a bit of a stretch, right? He, he chose, he made mistakes in how he built the Texas State program. And by that, I mean, he didn't build it at all. Yeah. I think it, well, and I talked to one he of their coaches. And heavy. He went too transfer he, heavy. He said, yes, he said it was difficult and they made, you know, but you t- I'm talking to his tenant or one of his coaches and they don't know that they're going with him or where they're going. And well, it's yeah. like, it's crazy. It, it's so. tough because it, he probably can't take everyone to the Cal staff because there's probably, right. you know, the tight ends coach is probably already filled there. You know what I mean? Or yeah, you know, it depends on how much Justin Wilcox in that case wants to give him leeway to bring in his own guys to be on that offensive staff. Versus so who, who did we talk about on the last podcast? Did we talk about any coaching hires? We talked a lot of rumors last podcast because no one had been hired. No one at all had been time. hired. Okay. No, we talked about guys who didn't get fired. We talked about Luke Fickle leaving. We talked about Charlotte hiring Biff Pogge because we're going to talk a little bit of those teams that are coming into the AAC too. Uh, okay. So we don't need to talk about Biff Pogge and Charlotte at all. Okay. Uh, and to my recollection, Trent Dilfer at UAB had not been hired when we last recorded. Right. So we're going to touch on that. I, okay. So where do you want to start? I'm going to start with the AAC coaches that got hired. I'm yeah. going to start with the one. This is our penultimate show talking about – or. Penultimate might be our third from last, which I don't know what the word is for. Yeah. Talking about Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF, right? Yeah, I, think, I guess so. After, That's weird. After yeah, after a bull recap, they're no longer going to be. Well, UCF's not making a coaching change, and neither is Houston, as far as we know. So, but does that leave Cincinnati? Cincinnati? They made a hire. Yeah, they did. Cincinnati hired Scott Satterfield away from Louisville in a move that makes no sense. To me. Oh my god! So. I like Scott Satterfield. <laughs> this is not personal, but is that the best you can do, Cincinnati? Because if so, you're in trouble in the Big 12. I think he's a good coach, and he's had moments where we've seen that. It, it just hasn't been. Cincinnati, first off, incredibly interesting because these two are rivals who play in a bowl game this year. Mm-hmm. This is a historic rivalry. This is the keg of nails rivalry. Emily, this mm-hmm. is a this is interesting. These two schools are both old Big East schools. They are incredibly similar programs in terms of their money, in terms of their size, in terms of their fan base, in terms mm-hmm. of the geography. They are so similar. He is a 500 coach at Louisville. Why are you hiring him to do the mm-hmm. same, to basically coach the same program just in the state north of it? As you're moving to the Big 12, this is going to be a difficult transition because Cincinnati needs to figure out its geography in a conference that's very Texas-centric. You know, you're going to be kind of I, with West Virginia here. And it's, all right, I'm going to limit you in in how many things you can say. I already told you you get three reasons why this is a bad hire. Okay. Uh, okay. My and then we're reason, moving on. 
My main reason is he was mediocre at Louisville. I literally, okay. I've literally written like Shell's story in case he gets fired. Okay. Yeah, quite. Uh, obviously, that's a waste of my time now. But <laughs> the boosters okay. did not want him at Louisville anymore. In yes, he was good at App State. But what have you done for me recently? You've been a 500 coach, and more than anything, is I think Cincinnati could have hired someone better. I think they could have hired an up and comer. Like I think a Jesse Minter, who's the Michigan DC, or, or someone, a Jim Leonard from Wisconsin. I think those are options that were out there that would have been more exciting to me personally. Okay. It's bland. It's taking a guy off of another team's hands who they didn't really want anyways. And that sucks to me. But hey. Maybe it works. Maybe I understand that his lack of success at the power five level is a concern for you. I understand that, but I have gone, I have been to Louisville many times to cover him and I'm not saying that he's the greatest coach ever, but he does have flashes where he puts things together in a way that is very brilliant, but it is not consistent, right? Enough to where you're like, Hey, this is, Hmm. But that's the problem. I agree with you, but maybe it just wasn't the situation for him, and that will open up and unfold in a way at Cincinnati that's different. You don't know. I think the Big 12 is a tougher conference to win than the ACC. Possibly. Maybe he'll have a better situation in Cincinnati, though. So I don't know. He definitely walks into a better situation than he walked into at Louisville, in all fairness. Yes. The Petrino left him absolutely. And I don't just mean, like, you know, with players, I mean, with an AD that he likes, with well, uh, alumni, he, with... I remember Satterfield burnt bridges at Louisville when he interviewed very publicly for South Carolina. I just don't think he was ever really happy there. And I no. that's why I think it struggled. That is a huge part of this. He's been trying to get out for as long as he's had that job, right. which is why they didn't like him, which it's... But that's... But that's but that's why I'm saying this. Fucking a town over. I just dropped F bomb, but like, um, yeah, you did. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell our editor to edit that out. It's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyways, but since now it's a town over. Okay. It is a town over. What that doesn't Why, mean you know, anything. It does, though. It's the same program. It's the same program. It's not the same program. It's different people because obviously there was an issue with him, with the people that were at Louisville, whoever that was or whatever it was. He made that the it, problem. You don't he know that. You don't know he, that. He very loudly and very publicly was interviewing for other jobs and he made it clear. Right. Why was he doing that though? But he shouldn't. No, no, there's no, but I'm asking you, why was he doing that? You don't because, know. Because he, I think knew he made a mistake by taking, Right. And why did he think he made a mistake? Uh, I think because he realized that his way of coaching doesn't work in a program like that. Great. So, no, but because Cincinnati is different people. So how they react to him and how they, you know, treat him or welcome him or whatever it is that wasn't going right at Louisville. And I'm not saying it's just their fault. It's probably his fault too, but maybe this situation is better and he meshes better with the people there and the situation and the style we just don't know so you can't count it out and say oh it's a wash it's not going to work well, i'm not saying, just don't know that. I'm saying i don't think it will work it could work i don't think it will it might work and i actually think that i i don't know cincinnati as well as i've I covered it, louisville but mm-hmm. if i think it's a five-step downgrade from luke trickle and look, really look like any, any that much to be honest well, so look, any coach know. they hired would be a luke fickle's like the best coach in their program's history 
Yeah, in their program's history. But what is he going to do outside of Cincinnati? We're about we'll to find, find out. We'll find out. I know. We'll find out. I don't think, I don't think Luke Fickle is going to have the success that everyone thinks he's going to have outside of that. Because it's a different world out but there. It'll be interesting to watch what he does at Wisconsin. I don't think he's going to be Ohio State by any means, but... <laughs> Not think, even close. I think he could be Penn State. What James Franklin's done at Penn State, I think he could mimic that pretty easily. I don't know. I also that's a, don't. That's a very like isolated place. I'm not sure that well, anybody could replicate it like that. We'll, we'll figure it out. Anyways, let's move on. Okay, who's after Cincinnati? Uh, should I go for the one the hire that I kind of feel like was probably a decent hire, or the one that I absolutely hate way worse? Than I hate. Oh my today? god, something good, please. All right, let's talk about USF. Okay. USF hired Alex Golish, who was Josh Heifel's offense coordinator at Tennessee and uh, briefly at UCF. Okay. Uh, I think it's a pretty good hire, to be honest with you, for USF. Uh, now, a lot of USF fans wanted a splashy hire. They wanted Dion. Right. Some of them wanted Manny Diaz for some reason. I'm not sure why they did. Urban Meyer, I think, was thrown out there. Um, like, Dan Mullen, I heard. Like, yeah. a lot of like literally everybody uh, was thrown out for that job. Some USF fans wanted a huge Well, that was just... So first off, Tampa Media did a terrible job covering the search yeah. because every like every single Tampa Media person, I'm not talking about like specific USF people, but like generic Tampa sports media, every single one of them seemed to have a different candidate that they were sure was going to take the job. And not one of them had Alex Golesh as the hire. I think a UCF uh, rivals person. Uh, I, I had not even heard that news, to be honest with you. Yeah. It, like a literally, like literally USF, like Tampa people, had no idea what was going on this hour, which was interesting to me. Um, he is generally thought of as a very high energy guy and a really good mm-hmm. recruiter. Obviously he's, he's going to bring that, you know, spread high energy offense. Uh, not the flashiest hire, but I think that's not the worst thing in the world. You know, how many flashy hires work versus the not flashy hire that you're like in two, three years, you're like, wow, that's just like they're grinding and they're just improving. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I think I think it's a good hire as long as you give them the time to work out and develop. It mirrors the Jeff Scott hire in a lot of ways. It's you know it's an offense coordinator from a successful team with no head coaching experience, but ties to Florida in some regard. Uh, some people are going to be a little anxious that you hired the same guy twice, but he's a different person. You know what I mean? Yeah. His game plan is going to be different. His ability to manage game situations will be different. His ability to adjust will be different. Yeah, uh, I think I think USF needs to get its on-campus stadium funded at some point soon. They're getting their indoor practice facility. I think that there's no. Re- I think there's no reason USF shouldn't be the, at the top of the new American. I know they're right. at the bottom right now. It won't be next year probably, but two three years from now, I don't see why not. And I think that Alex Golish, as well as anyone else, has a chance to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you think about the successful hires that have happened in the AAC, uh, what was Tom Herman's job before Houston? He was the offense coordinator at Ohio State, an explosive offense. Scott Frost before UCF, offense coordinator at Oregon, the explosive offense. You know, it's not uncommon for that to work in this conference. Is it Justin Fuente, same time? No, was he somewhere else? I don't remember. Doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same kind <laughs> of like You're going sideways here. Okay, so you um, like the hire. I think it's a solid okay. hire. That is a, Good. I think it's the best hire of the three that we've seen in the American. Okay. So you have no concern with 
the fact that South Florida is taking a chance on who's considered another outsider, I guess, who's unproven as a head coach. I mean, a little bit, because when you take a guy mm-hmm. who's never been a head coach, you don't know how they're going to, you don't know right. if their hearts are going to be good. You don't know if they can handle the pressure. You don't know if they can, it is, it's a gamble every time you hire yeah. a out head coaching experience. Uh, at the same time, I think it's not the worst gamble that they've ever taken. <laughs> That's fair. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, so like I've, for, for them, I wanted them to get a guy who basically matched Alex Golish's description, but had a stop as a head coach somewhere. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. He doesn't have to stop as a head coach, but that's okay because, I mean, it was kind of limited. The guys who really – I liked Willie Simmons, the FAMU coach, but uh, I would talk to some USF people, and they're like, ah, he's got, like, incidents in his history that mirror why Jim Levitt had to go which mm-hmm. some of the brass at USF were going to be bashful on. And after right. that, finding a guy with Florida ties who's at a job below USF that was an up-and-comer, not a retread, you know, all those things, good recruiter. It was just very limited, you know? So, yeah, yeah I've got no – I think this is has as good a chance of working. Of course, it could fail because any hire could fail. You know of, course, I mean? of course, of course. We'll I have think to it, see. I, I think it's a good hire by USF. Okay. Yeah. Tulsa, which I think is a bad hire. Kevin Wilson, uh, he's been on staff at Ohio State as an offensive assistant. He has nothing to do with their success on offense. He was the (laughs) former former head coach at Indiana, 26 and 47 in six seasons there, was asked to resign for his abuse of players. What the hell, Tulsa? Yeah. Uh, G.J. Kenny, your former quarterback and -and up-and-coming head coach, Took Texas State in the Sun Belt ahead of you. They're a mess right now. They're an absolute mess. And he said that that's that's the job I prefer. Uh, According to Stephen Godfrey, who splits on duo, check them out. It's good stuff. He says that at least five coaches should know to even interview in for Tulsa. There's something very broken with what's happening. That's sad. There's something either coaches said, I don't want to work with this administration or there's something that coaches didn't want anything to do with Barry Odom, who I mentioned was talked about as a potential uh, retread style hire, which is ultimately what Kevin Wilson is, is a retread style hire. Mm-hmm. He just took the UNLV job. UNLV, oh, wow. Yeah. UNLV to me is a way worse job than Tulsa in my head. You know Unless I mean? you like Vegas. But historically, right? I, think I just mean know. like, if you like, well, if you're looking at well, geographically. Well, Barry, oh, Barry Odom spent his career in Missouri and Arkansas. You know what I mean? Then maybe he's like, I want to be in a fun city. Well, it's possible, which I respect. It's possible, but the Mountain West is a worse conference than the American. And you know what I mean? It's just I think there's something behind the scenes that didn't go well. And when I say that uh Kevin Wilson was abusing players, I mean he was making players play through concussions and injuries. There's an ESPN article you can go read about it. Uh and not every player agrees with that assessment, but enough did that the athletic director and president forced him to resign a year after signing a long-term extension. Man, that's crazy. Um, you know, so that's why I hate that hire. As he's a he's a historic loser who has done historic who's been on record doing bad things to players, and he's I think all they could get is the problem. Yeah, that's too bad. Hate to see that for Tulsa. 
Yeah, just a lot of people said no to them. Uh, I want to quickly touch on a few of the teams in Conference USA who will be joining the American. FAU hired Tom Herman. It's a hire I kind of love. He was the best coach Texas has had since, like, Mac Brown. And I'm not yeah. even talking, like, late career Mac Brown, like, mid-career Mac Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was at Ohio State, he recruited Florida. That was his area. Good offense. Uh, we'll see what happens long-term there. FAU is not the most stable place in the world. But I think it's a good – I think he's got a lot of potential there to work out. Uh, UAB hired Trent Dilfer. I think it's a very weird hire. It's another search that went very poorly. Uh, UAB's athletic director was under a lot of scrutiny from the players on the team because they thought there was no transparency. There was like an open letter to the president about what they wanted. This was not what they wanted. They got a high school coach who, <laughs> who had a viral video like a year ago of him like shoving a player in high school. So, I mean, Trent Dilfer, who knows? Again, uh, you hire him because he is a quarterback guru, quote unquote, and can get you a quarterback, right? He's also like, I thought he was coming to the, he is coming to the Bahamas Bowl and he's currently helping the team, but I guess he's just coming as to assist and to be there. Like he's going to be coaching, but he's not, he's not head coach. Yeah. So, but he will be there. So looking forward to catching up with him while I'm in the Bahamas for that and and talking to him. Like any other hire, it could end up working out great for UAB. It just, the process to getting there was weird and Mm -hmm. on paper. And it doesn't really make sense to hire a high school coach ever to me, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's ever an occasion when that's like a smart hire. Even if it works out, I don't know if that's a smart hire. I mean, we'll see. I think there's better options out there for UAB, but I think, again, they bump, they uh, bumble their search a little bit. Uh, and then North Texas also coming to the conference, just for Seth Luttrell, I think a really odd move. Mm-hmm. I mean, there had been talk about Seth Luttrell in the hot seat off and on, but he ended up making the Conference USA Championship game, and you fired him like a week and a half after Black Sunday when most coaches get fired. So it's a very late firing, which means you're late getting your hire done, which means, Emily, National Signing Day is in like two weeks from when we're talking That's right crazy. now. The portal is open, and you don't have a coach to recruit to your team right now. That's not smart. It's insane. That's not That's smart. insane fire. I'm like shocked. You know what that is? Is they wanted to fire him at the end of the year and get some new for the American, but then they went and made the conference USA championship game. And, <laughs> and I think they, they bumbled it again, in terms of how they handled the situation. If you wanted to fire him, you should have found the excuse mid season, the way a lot of teams did. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, because I think they knew they did. I think they knew they wanted a fresh start the way a lot of teams in the American have proven that they want that fresh start or a lot of teams coming in have proven they did. Uh, We'll see where the hiring process ends up going for North Texas. It's going to be a very desirable job from what I can tell. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's good recruiting territory. They put money into the program. It's, I think they'll get someone decent, but I don't have any at all insight into who the candidates are at this point. Yeah. I haven't really heard anything yet either. So but it, it's very fresh. He got fired like yesterday. Yes. So. It's crazy. Your thoughts on any of what I just said. I have none. Okay. Nothing to add, unfortunately. That, that's fine. I just wanted to run through it because it is in the news. Also in the news is the transfer portal. Hey, everyone, shut up about transfers. <laughs> I, I hate the transfer portal. I don't care. I think the transfer portal is good. I think it's still finding its balance. Like, 
you know i mean a lot of the guys in college have never transferred before or like came in and the transfer portal wasn't a thing before they got you know what i mean yeah i think over time it'll balance out and there will always be a lot now but i don't think there will be this many long term um at the same time i see people like we lost a players to the portal and they're losing their minds like what's wrong with the program and i get it because three years ago say that would be like hey what's wrong with the program that all these yeah that's nothing now you know, you just have to, if you see 10, 10 of your guys go into the transfer portal, don't even flinch, especially if you recently in the last two or three years had a coaching change, because right. that's often guys who that coach didn't recruit. And like, and again, just like we have said in the past, every transfer is different. Everyone has their own reasons. Don't tweet at recruits. Don't tweet at transfers. Keep it to yourself. Yes. You don't know the situation and everyone's is different. That's all I have to say. I don't need to get into By no means am I keeping track of transfers before bowl games. By no means am I. Yeah. I have like three in my head that, that I know about. It's not worth trying to keep up with it. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. I don't like it. You know, when I signed my letter of intent, which I found the other day when I was cleaning out my room, I signed it and that's where I went until I was, you know, kicked out of school. And then I was didn't have to leave because I, I didn't have to say I was leaving because they did it for me, but never in my mind would I have been like, I'm going to transfer. Yeah. Some, like I would leave my team and do that. You just like, that just wasn't a thing. So. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is what it is. It's a different world. In a lot of it is. I saw a lot of former players say complaining about like, I would never have done this or like. I'm saying that too. Like I would I never know. have done that. I know. But a lot of these foreign players in my head, I'm like, but you also never had the opportunity. So it's easy for you to say now. I mean, I guess, but I'm saying even if I was given that, I wouldn't do it. But also, if if eight players for team transfers, that means 75-ish didn't. Right. Most players aren't transferring. I think that's the other thing people are, like, forgetting. Right. Well, some of them are. Stanford had, like, 15. Stanford has a coaching change. So No, so, I'm talking about when Shaw was there. Okay. Well, yeah. Over the last three years, they've had an, an average of about – 11 to 15 players each year hit the portal. Yeah. So I, I still don't that's think, a problem in the one-time transfer era. I don't think that's going to be a crazy, crazy number. That's definitely probably going to be on the high end still, but like, like 15 Florida. guys every year. Billy it's, Napier. It's a lot. Like, look at Florida. Billy Napier's like telling like half the team, like, Hey, you're probably not going to play here. So you should hit the portal. Like half that team's like, I just, I just think it's ridiculous. I think it's just not a way to run a program. It's not a way to, it's like, it's like, Jason McDonald was saying, you know, these guys come in and they're there. They're not leaving. So I wish more things were like that. You make a choice and we don't all get the luxury of a do-over. Okay. Some of us made mistakes and have to live with them. That's what this should be about. You choose where you're going to go because you make the best choice you can. That's what we all had to do when we were looking at colleges. Yeah. I, I've always been on the side of give the players more rights and more. We've given them too much. Because now every time, every time we ask a guy to come on the podcast, you know what he says to me? Oh, is this NIL? Are you going to pay us? No, no, it's not NIL. And no, we're not going to pay you because you don't deserve money for every single thing you do. It's gotten out of control. I, I understand like where you're coming from. I just, I think it's a lot of rapid change very quickly. And that's why. In a sport that has resisted change as much as possible, so it's come so slow historically. I don't have a huge issue with it, as long as the games are still played. As long Maybe as you're not having to deal with it, like 
So your issue is I'm like not having to deal with the transfer portal. Like you have to write about it, but you don't have to like recruit players or try and get, you know, interviews with those players or like any of that stuff. So you're behind a computer screen doing that stuff, which is fine. You have to track it, but you don't have to physically interact and deal with like, oh, well, I'm not coming on your podcast if you don't pay me or oh, I'm not going to stay here unless you let me start. Like you're not on those end of discussions is all I'm saying. So it's like your opinion and my opinion don't really matter in that regard, you know? Well, <laughs> because it's not affecting us. Well, you also have to remember sometimes coaches run players off and tell them they have to transfer. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, do you see what Dion's press conference was like? He basically told everyone no, in Colorado. I refuse to watch it because I just, oh, I can't have that in he my life. He told them he's bringing his own luggage. And that yeah, that does not surprise me. But that's what you get into bed with when you do that. So it's like. I cannot wait for Colorado to beat Stanford. <laughs> I mean, everybody beats Stanford. So it's really not that special anymore. Unfortunately, it used to be. I'm just hoping wait, they get wait, their higher rate. I was going to say, we just got through all my coaching nonsense about our conference the american without hearing anything about stanford your mm-hmm. beloved cardinal uh, you you recently wrote an article about the coaching search did you not i did it wasn't anything that hasn't already been it wasn't any i had some people i talked to about certain players or coaches but the thing that i heard today or it was today or yesterday that really shook me to my core is somebody who I know uh, who has a good relationship with David Shaw for some reason. Um, he called this person and they came up and they told me this. They said, you know, I spoke to David Shaw afterwards and he thanked me for whatever it is that they do. And this person was talking to them about it, that his retiring and all that stuff or resigning. And he said to them, I probably should have done this two years ago. That's my biggest regret is I should have stepped down two years ago. He said that. And what have I been fucking, excuse me, I dropped the F-bomb now. What have I been saying this whole time? Maybe we should just take the E for the episode. I know, right? We probably should. Um, it It was very validating to hear that, to hear this man who would never admit to anything that he had done wrong, to hear, to hear that he had said that. I got to tell you, it, it was a good feeling because hey. it's true. Yeah. And he knows it's true. What, was he making like nine million a year at Stanford? Yeah, and I would get that. Would you? No, walk away from, no. Would you walk, and that, would you walk away from three million dollars per win? Not if I'm David Shaw. No, if I'm me. Yes. If I'm me. Yes. If I'm David Shaw. No, yeah. I understand why he stayed. I'm not. I'm not faulting him for being put in by the administration in a position where he didn't really have a choice. He became a shield for the school because that's what he had to do. You know, and it, and I think I have said this on many occasions. I think it's the athletic director. I, we need to get him out. There needs to be other changes made at the university because look at what happened over the years. We've had the Brock swimmer issue. Okay, that yeah. was under Bernard Muir, right? That was awful. Now yeah. we've had the sailing debacle that was made in the Netflix documentary because our sailing coach was taking payments to have players that don't sail. And then, you know, we have... Who does Who Who does the current current case that's going on with Katie Myers, the soccer the soccer goalie oh, who yeah. took her own life because the administration threatened her. Yeah. They threatened to hold her diploma. They threatened to not have her captainship, be- all because she threw a cup of coffee on a football player who had allegedly sexually assaulted or raped her teammate, an underage teammate at that. So what what is going on? You know, like what you would I grew up a Stanford fan. You would never tell these these stories. These words would not even be said in the same sentence as Stanford. For years. 
something I, has to change. I have nothing to add to that because you're yeah. obviously, you know, obs- about that program. It's upsetting. It's, it's upsetting. And I just hope that it gets fixed. I feel for the people, the students, the people who are there, mm-hmm. it's just, it's disappointing. So I hope they get it right. I'm pulling for Troy Taylor. Sac State coach. I really I, like him. He's I keep a, hearing his name. I do keep hearing his he's name. He's a very good coach. And he's he, the players at Sac State love him. He's done incredible things there. He's local. Cal he, yeah, Cal guy. Yeah, but still knows the Pac-12, um, has ties. And then, you know, the, the hopeful long shot, Andrew Luck. I was told right. that he would be open to coaching. I don't know about a head coach because that's a lot of commitment, but to being on the staff, to being around it. So he is back on campus at grad school. So he's living in. Oh, is he really at grad school there? Mm-hmm. I didn't know he that. He is in grad school there. So, oh, and I was I just, told. Not to cut you off, but good for Andrew Luck for getting out of the NFL when he, on his yes. terms. Yes. Uh, he is probably one of the greatest human beings I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Just talk about like a, a person you'd want to mold your, your child is Andrew Luck. He's incredible. So that's the hopeful long shot. Don't know if that'll work out, but I do like Troy Taylor um, as well. We'll see. Knowing Stanford, they'll do it like in a way. Greg Roman, I think was the name I heard from the Ravens. Yeah, they, that was, I heard that was a no-go It's like a random Harbaugh connection. I think any of the Harbaugh connections can get mentioned. I told you I did hear the Alabama, um, DC. Uh, DC's Pete Golding, OC's Bill O'Brien. OC, Bill O'Brien. I heard he was uh, being thrown around and I heard that on some recruiting calls, he has been asking players if they are considering Stanford, which is weird on an Alabama recruiting call, right? Because those players... Alabama is recruiting against Ohio State, Georgia, LSU team. Right. Why would he be asking about Stanford? So I heard that recently from somebody who coaches kids that are being recruited by him. And I thought that was interesting. So who knows? Gotcha. All right. Yep. Anything else pressing on your mind? Heisman no, Trophy finalists? It. Do you care about the Heisman Trophy finalists? Not, could not care less about the Heisman Trophy quarterbacks. Year. I think they missed Hendon Hooker and put Stetson Bennett in where Hendon <laughs> Hooker should have gone. I, I can't believe I thought You're Stetson Bennett. Lifetime achievement. Lifetime achievement. <laughs> I know, I'm like, he's still in school. <laughs> he, I'm sorry, but like, there's so many people vote just so improperly on the Heisman. I know. I should have a Heisman vote. I've been to the last six and covered it. And I remember the one that I went to where Christian McCaffrey was there and I was there with his family doing a story. So I shadowed them the whole time. And there were people coming, Heisman voters coming up to Christian McCaffrey and saying, oh yeah, I never got a chance to watch. I didn't get to see any of your games or watch you. 10 p.m. is too late for us East Coast guys. Oh my God, there's the internet. Just watch a replay. (laughs) Hey, I don't have a vote. (laughs) I was like, I was like, take away the votes from people who don't do the work. Get get him out of here. Also, put a linebacker or a fullback or even a defensive player. Okay, so here's the real issue with the Heisman. So many voters are beat writers Mm -hmm. that they don't watch any game but their own teams. Which their conference, yeah. Which means they end up looking at box scores to vote, and they Mm -hmm. it's really quarterback driven. Which I'm literally like, go on Twitter and watch a sizzle reel. Like that would even be better than what you're doing. That's a huge part of it. A lot of times, historically, there's like regional biases that go into the Heisman. Mm-hmm. There's also, and if you want to go way back to like Jim Brown era, there's racial biases that have gone into yeah. it. There's always, there's always issues with it, you know? Of course. Um, so, no, I have gone uh, to many Heismans. I will not yeah. be going this year. So, yeah, you're going to be at Army Navy instead on Saturday. Yes. Uh, 
Caleb Williams, Pac-12 is probably taking home the the Heisman though. So. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. Give so if you guys want to, we we might be bringing a special guest to Army Navy. So if you guys want to follow along, please find me on social media. My Twitter and Instagram are at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M. You can find me at Twitter at Dan underscore Morrison 96. You can find any writing at on three, uh, tons of transfer stuff right now. Tons of transfer yeah. stuff. Check it so out. much transfer stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, this was the great second to last episode. We hope you guys enjoyed our interview with Jason McDonald. We will be back next week. We're going to bring you some form of an AC, AAC player that will be bowling. And we will talk about the army Navy game and what is going on with the AAC and bowl season. So stay tuned. All right. Well, Emily's already over promised for next week. So we are off. <laughs> we'll see you then. <laughs>